Hi, this is Brendan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Adam Balderstone and Nick Seidler, and we're going to talk about Planet of Evil from Season 13 of Doctor Who. This is the second episode of that season. And, uh, uh, all right, so let, let's let's just get right into talking about it. Um, what what do you guys think of this episode? Um, I, I, I like this episode, and I think one thing worth mentioning about this is that uh, sort of at the very beginning of the Tom Baker run, we get a lot of stories that seem to be based on like universal monster movies. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of a start in that direction because this is very similar to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in its own way. So um, sometimes people will see themes coming up now in the next few stories that are pretty, you know, might might seem a little familiar or might like, but I think this plays out in a very cool way. So, yeah, I I like this episode, but I I have reservations about it, and I I wish it's an episode I wish I like more because I mean the things I like about it, the atmosphere and the sets and everything are fantastic in this episode. I mean, this is definitely you know a must watch episode if uh, you're doing the uh, you know the Baker episodes, but. I uh, but yeah, I feel like it's the best stuff at the beginning of the episode, and I'm always I get cooler on the episode as it goes on. By the end, I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. I feel like it, it takes a little too long to wrap things up. You know, I feel like if they cut it down by maybe if it been one episode shorter or something, it might have been a better serial. And uh, also the fact that later in the episode you end up, you know, the, the early part you're in that 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 planet the fantastic set and everything and the later one you're kind of just stuck in this gray spaceship and you know it's, it's less exciting but uh, yeah on the monster thing i agree with you on the monster thing and i i feel another thing too this might be me but i feel like it's what they're trying for with that alien is i, I get a sense that they're almost going for the like the effect of the alien and forbidden planet you know yes. except that one was done with now, that one they had like Disney animators from the '50s doing it, and it looked really amazing. They had to go a little cheaper with it, but it, I, I think it works though. Anyway, I, I, I kind of get that feel from it. Yeah, and I so I saw this episode twice for this podcast because we were we were having scheduling issues, and so I watched it. I, how many weeks ago was that? Was that like four weeks ago that we were yeah, at least, initially at least watched three it? Or so yeah, yeah, so about a month. And I figured oh, I need to watch it again because um, you know I wanted it to be fresh in my mind. And I had very different reactions both times. And the, the real big difference between the viewings was, number one, I wasn't, as sort, I wasn't sort of doing that thing where you, that you always do when you first see something where you're sort of just trying to get to the, the story beats and sort of figure out what's happening and all that. And so I, I wasn't as worried about that aspect of it. And I found myself enjoying it more just on that front. But mm-hmm. also because it was Halloween month. I I was way more open to this episode. I I had it was like night and day difference. The first time I was I sort of had more of a lukewarm reaction to it, and the second time I really enjoyed it. So um, I don't know. For me, I guess that just shows me how much how much of my my own like uh, whatever I happen to be feeling when I'm watching something might affect how I react to it. But uh, but also I think I think this is I think what that says to me is this is a really good Halloween episode. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and, and I think it's, I think, I think it, but some of the stuff that Adam was saying, that's stuff that was sort of bothering me the first time I watched it. So, 
Um, and, and, and I noticed them this time too, but I just wasn't as worried about them because I was kind of just sort of relaxing and just, you know, <laughs> not as, not as, uh, just not as worried, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, you know, I enjoyed the episode. It's not, I wouldn't say it's like my favorite so far, but, it, but I like sort of the universal horror aspects. I liked, uh, and again, I noticed this way more the second time I knew they were going for a horror thing, but just how many of the shots were like clearly, uh, you know, like, like, like classic horror style things. And, uh, you know, and, and then I started sort of looking for those, those, those bits. And, and I thought the big monster, like, like Adam was saying to me, that reminded me of a lot of the stuff I used to see growing up in the, in the early eighties on TV, just that, that style. I don't know. It's like some kind of weird rotoscoping th- technique. Uh, I don't know exactly what they're doing, but it's a little bit like the Lord of the Rings, Boschke, uh, style. Um, except it's like this, like outline of the monster that's being put onto the screen. Yeah, that, that goes what I was saying. It reminded me of Forbidden Planet, where they had they actually had Disney animators animating special effects onto a live action movie. You know, it's it's a very it's, you know it's not rotoscoping, but similar to rotoscoping to okay. an extent. So do you think so? Is was this more that technique, or do you think this was more rotoscoping? I, I think they were doing kind of video tech, just like video overlays i think but i don't know I, yeah don't know I, I, said, I, th- I think you're right adam because the video was new and so they were using you know in the uk they called it green screen we call it blue screen here so they were able to tone down like the 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 you know the contrast of the video to just get the shapes that they needed mm-hmm. you know with the guy in a, a a different color outfit on the blue screen and it I think it works, and, and it, it's creepy in some ways. I mean, considering it's an antimatter monster, and it's not quite supposed to exist in our universe, you know, kind of those, like, indescript shapes. I mean, you can make out Sorensen, you can make out the monster. It, it, it's creepy in its own way, you know? And, and I, I kind of point out that that effect kind of didn't exist before this episode, so that would have been huh. pretty crazy special effect at that time, you know? So. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about the fact of how new that technique would have been. And uh, and yeah, it also kind of reminded me a little bit of Tron too, which I guess goes back to Disney. You know? um, <laughs> yeah, I but, see that. But uh, but yeah, I I also I thought the concept for the episode was really good. Like 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 I think you were saying this earlier, Nick. But the just the idea of it and the sort of the um, it, it's a really great sort of you know sort of the sort of thing I expect in science fiction that I like. Um, and, uh, and one of the fun things too about science fiction is ideas, our attitudes to certain ideas change a lot over time. And so it was interesting to see sort of the way they were dealing with antimatter. And, and I found myself wondering, well, how would we be dealing with that now? Because, you know, obviously there's, you know, I, I don't know a lot about antimatter, but I know the conversation has kind of, you know, evolved over time around it. And, and so, but, but this was a really interesting idea and the, the you know sort of and and it, and it and it also is a sort of a cataclysmic episode because the, the the if I understood what was going on they were basically butting up against the edge of the universe against another universe that was like antimatter universe and mm-hmm. and that that could threaten to to make another big bang type event if they mm-hmm. if they brought the antimatter into uh into into our universe so. And and I yeah. like the whole idea of the anti man and and all that stuff. That was that was fun. Well, and, and I, I think it's an interesting idea because it, it, in real science, some people perceive that 
there's possibly, you know, wormholes and things that could move you between different universes. And so the idea that possibly you could be in the space in which antimatter and matter could exist, but the, the, the mathematics kind of work out is, isn't like wrong science. I mean, it's no, nobody knows, right? This is where you get into like, you know, the theoretical physics and the kind of, you know, some of the answers none of us have. But I think it kind of works, you know, in some ways it's weird because they have this, like, pit that the doctor goes into and that the creature rises in and out of. But, you know, while that was conveniently put as a pit, if this story was made in new Doctor Who, I think that would have been like a wormhole in space and we would have had a similar story just, like, with updated science, right, instead of it being a pit on a planet, right? Like, And, and it's funny because there is a modern Doctor Who story that has almost the same plot, and ironically, it's called the Satan Pit, and, and, and uh, yeah. you know, like the impossible planet, the Satan Pit, and there's a black hole in the story, and like you know, the devil is there, you know, and it, it, it's actually very similar uh, th- those two stories and style. So um, I, th- I think it's cool. I, th- I think it it, it kind of works. So well, um, it, I, I, one thing I want to say though is I think Adam's right on with. The set of the world that they first land on is truly alien, and I, I, I'd love to talk about that a little bit, if, or maybe Adam. Yeah, no, we this. should talk now. I mean, because it's that's that's really what opens this up is that you know they go to this planet and there's like a the um what are they called the uh, the Moristron geological expedition is there mm-hmm. with uh, Professor Sorensen leading and and he's trying he's extracting minerals uh, because their star is dying and they're hoping to. Uh, tap into some you know uh, uh perpetual energy source so and, and and it's the antimatter that he's that he's sort of uh trying to draw on um and the planet itself is i don't know it kind of it looked jungly but weird i was having i wasn't really sure how much of that was like plant life or not pl- like anti-plant life i have no idea um i think i think they built that all as sets hmm. so there's these amazing like vines and plants and 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 the color, it's interesting because when you watch the episode, the color scheme of the planet is like greens and and reds, like especially reds. And when, you, when I was looking as we were watching the episode, they only used natural white light, which means that when the set dressers came in and 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 made that set, that they literally built all of these red plants and stuff, so and, and alien looking stuff and hanging everywhere and on the ground and. So it's, it's an amazing set considering this is all filmed in a studio, you know, not, they didn't spray paint real plants or anything like that, at least that I know of. So, and, no, but what I, what I want to know is if those plants were, cause it's like, they're on like the border of matter and antimatter universes is, is, mm-hmm. is, are these plants made of matter? Or are they made of anti, like what's the, do, do we know what the situation on this planet is? I think the planet itself is matter. I think I think it's just this kind of a gateway to the mm. you know, other universe where the antimatter is coming through. At least that. I mean, I don't know. I could be wrong. I mean, maybe these plants are weird because they're on this planet with that mm. portal between the universes. But uh, but yeah, it, it these yeah. I mean, the, the atmosphere in the early parts is fantastic, and I I feel like early in the episode there's also a really good uh, chemistry between uh, the Doctor and uh and sarah jane they i feel like you know when they're when they're like the, the, the end of the first 
first episode when they're escaping and everything. And it's just, they're, they're, they're really, really kind of having a good time early in that episode. And, uh, it, it adds, it adds a lot to it, I think. Yeah, I think so too. You know, I was going to make a really, you know, stupid joke and say that the plants were made of, it doesn't matter. It doesn't <laughs> matter. There you go. <laughs> but like, uh, well, that's a good point. I, I might have been lingering. Yeah, I, I apologize for that. <laughs> no, that's a good. I found myself just wondering that the whole episode, and you know, just like you know, just. Uh, but uh, but yeah, the uh, and there was that weird. So so people were dying on the planet in really weird ways, and it was very mysterious. And and I found that pretty terrifying the way they did that because you didn't you couldn't tell what it was, and it was. It, it really it really made you worry when whenever Sarah Jane started feeling that static you because you, yes, you, yes. you had no idea what was causing it, it was, so yeah. I, I really thought that was effective and uh, and I liked the uh, what was it the, the Edgar Lum headstone the guy the first guy that, that we see yeah. is uh, um, and uh, and yeah so, so I, th- I thought it was a strong opening and I think the planet looked really cool I actually I actually liked the politics <laughs> on the ship too um, it starts in a graveyard actually right so i mean like it like not not a traditional graveyard you know you're talking about how this is very halloweeny but literally this story starts with a guy putting a headstone in a graveyard yeah. so like it's an alien sci-fi graveyard definitely like neat and i you know i wanted to, to to go off of something that adam said that also is relevant to what you said brennan and that is that you know as Sarah Jane is freaking out and she's getting those moments where her hand, like she can feel the static or the something inhuman in the area or whatever you want to call it. I do think that the interplay between the doctor and Sarah Jane really by now, the fourth doctor and Sarah Jane have found their friendship and their relationship. And like he trusts when she doesn't feel right about something. So -hmm. there's, there's not a, you know, I think last season there were come oh there's nothing to be worried about Sarah Jane let's go do this he's now trusting her as as his you know companion or assistant or whatever you want to call her uh, that she's bringing something to the table about what's going on you know I think that's a step forward from those characters last season so yeah I, th- I thought this was a pretty good Sarah Jane episode overall um, you know I, I I thought she you know she uh, they, they 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 had her sort of uh, um, taking. I, I felt there were moments where she was taking a lot of initiative, um, and so you know, and I guess that's maybe tying into what you were saying. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when they when they escape, you know, she's the one that thinks, hey, you know, if the the power is low, that magnetic lock won't work. We can just go out yeah. the window, and so she has a. Uh, some good plans and, there. And the doctor had some priceless expressions this episode, too, which <laughs> yeah. I haven't I mean, I don't remember him doing this in the last season. I might have just missed it. But there were moments where they're talking about that because they kept in this one. They kept talking about Sarah Jane and the doctors. They were referring to them as aliens, the aliens. And so the guy's sitting there saying the aliens and the doctor's just looking off into space in his like with the bug eyes. <laughs> and it's just perfect. And there were there were quite a few moments like that. Um yeah, and, uh, I don't know. Yeah, that might have happened in... last season, but I didn't. I didn't spot it. So, yeah, one of my, one of my favorite Baker moments, and this is when Sarah Jane, you know, asks him. You know, I, I forget his his exact dialogue in this point, but you know, Sarah Jane asks him. You know, don't you ever get tired of people pushing you around? And he, he's just like, you have no idea, <laughs> or something. 
You know, uh, there, there's a couple set design things that I, I really feel like I should mention in this story, and that is one thing I really like in this story is the really strange labeling that they put on doors. And so, like, doors and controls have their very own, like, set of labels. I remember there's a door that the doctor goes through in one direction, which has a circle and, like, three lines on it. Sarah Jane turns, goes to another door. It has a circle and only two lines on it. And then, like, some of the other, like, uh, like doors have, like, backwards numbers and letters on them. And so, like, there's a, a, this design element as well as other control buttons where, you know, they've created this, like, special language for the restaurants, kind, mm -hmm. kind of based in, like, science with, you know, numbers and formulas. But... I thought that was a really cool, you know, subtle addition by the designers that really kind of stood out to me in this story to make it feel alien. So, no, I don't know if you guys caught that. At all, so I didn't catch those symbols, I did but I, I did catch the uh, the outfits. The uh, the they had like the weird. Uh, I, I I mean, I, presumably they're uniforms because this is a military ship and uh, uh, Sorensen wasn't dressed like these guys were. But 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 they had I don't know what you would call them, but they. They they were like tubular adornments on their uh, uh -huh. on their uniforms that were very very unusual and also they had that oculoid tracker which I really liked the uh, uh -huh. you know, it was like an eye but it was like it looked like a cat eye on almost uh -huh. like a Roomba like a floating Roomba and, uh, <laughs> and so and and they mentioned it a few times so I was like oh okay oculoid tracker I kind of like that and uh, uh -huh. um but yeah I didn't I didn't notice the the numbers and symbols but I was very curious about their culture because they did seem to be kind of this um sort of this this interesting blend of 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 militarism and science um granted it was a military ship so we just might have been just seeing the military guys and that's why i'm thinking that but mm -hmm. uh and i and i liked the i liked the politics going on on the ship you know the whole thing with uh you know commander salomar real like at first he doesn't seem that bad like he just seems very sort of insistent on things and by the book but progressively he gets just more unhinged as the episode goes on and uh mm -hmm. and eventually um Vyshinsky, the older guy has to take command of the ship and uh and so that's one of the big drivers of a lot of the you know in addition to the whole thing with Sorensen becoming a monster and that you know eventually it's 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 really uh salomar using i forget what the gun was it was some kind of was it like a neutron enhancer is that what they called it or a neutrino like enhancer? a neutron accelerator or something yeah. like that yeah something yeah. like that uh but they just pull out of the wall and go like you know like here's here's this like yeah. crazy super weapon try not to get in your way like in the way of it so yeah and you're right it's a neutron accelerator and he uses uh -huh. it on Sorensen, and then that just makes things what four times worse um <laughs> so you know, and I, and that was interesting because I I was a little confused by that the first time I saw it, and the second time I made a point of paying more attention to it, and and I thought that was a really cool sort of way to explode everything in a in a in a um in a dangerous direction. Yeah, that was that 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 was that was kind of funny. Just because you're talking about the neutron accelerator, when when he takes it out and he's like, I'm gonna expose this to radiation, and everyone's like, Whoa, stand back and stuff. And then later in the story, the, I, I literally think the doctor, like, punches Commander Salomar, like, in the face. 
and then he gets the Neutron Accelerator, and he, like, literally, like, tucks it under his <laughs> arm, and I was, you know, was running around with it, and they get it back to, to like, uh, Mashinsky, and he, like, delicately puts it back in its place. <laughs> Super dangerous, you know, so... Well, the doctor was being really casual with uh, with that antimatter too. The the uh, the, the minerals. Yes. Uh, he was putting them in like a little tin box and then just slipping it into his pocket. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, you know, for 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 the kind of material that was supposed to be, they, they you know didn't seem too worried about it at times. Um, but uh, but also they mentioned Shakespeare in this one. Um, yeah, and he mentions yeah. that he met Shakespeare. I don't know. Is this the first time he brings that up in the show, or is has that come up before? Does anybody know? It in in the first uh, Doctor era, the using the time space visualizer, the crew actually she sees Shakespeare performing. Okay. So it's not the first time, it but it's the first time I think that the Doctor mentions. Or at least Tom Baker's doctor mentions having actually met Shakespeare. Is that what I the dreadful remember. is that what the dreadful yeah. actor comment was was in reference to? Was the the Shakespeare performing? Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. think so. Yes. Yep. Okay. That's why he had to be a writer. Uh, so now I want to go see that episode because I want to see how that guy is acting. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so. Um, you know, you talked about some of the, the performances in this story, and I can't remember exactly who this was, and we talked about this before we started recording, but uh, one of the soldier characters, Morelli, is played by Michael Wisher, and Michael Wisher played Davros under heavy makeup the previous season. So if you pay attention in this story, you can kind of uh, see what Michael Wisher davros looks like in real life without the makeup so was, i'd have to rewatch it to know exactly who that was but i think that's kind of a neat neat trivia point that maybe listeners might you know watch for so yeah and that, and that was definitely and that, is that the davros episode that, that we saw um yeah the okay. one that we just watched yeah okay not too um, long ago. that was a good episode too that was a really enjoyable episode um the the other thing, this sort of got me thinking in general, because one of the things that is kind of sort of I enjoy about Doctor Who, but I've also been, as an American, a little bit confused by, and it's taken me time to sort of really understand, I think. And Adam, being Australian and being maybe more keyed in to some of this stuff and more worldly than me, has helped sort of clarify some of it. But there's the, the whole approach to manliness in, in England and in America is very different. And so this really gets yeah. sort of that stiff upper lip thing that's way more sort of on the, you know, how, how the English approach masculinity. And, and that seems to be what's going on between uh, Vinchinsky and uh, Salomar. And Salomar is like a poster boy for not having a stiff upper lip. And, uh, and Vinchinsky clearly is just sort of calm and rational in this, you know, extreme crisis. So, uh, you know, whereas like, you know, sort of, my, you know, the stuff that I'm used to is more like Bruce Willis style, like, you know, uh, you know, like if, if it were an American show, Salomar would be the guy making the right, right calls. Do you know what I mean? And, and Vyshinsky yeah. would be sort of the effete guy who's not, uh, who, who's, who's too cautious. So I don't know. I just, I just find, I find that aspect of the show compelling sometimes because it's a little bit different than my, my standard diet of, of media. And, uh, and sure. I, but uh, but yeah. So I don't know. Was there anything else this episode that people uh, 
people. Well, there's there's one thing that I want to mention, and this is super nerdy, Mm -hmm. but as we're gamers, I love to bring this up, and that is that there's there's a shot in this episode in which Sarah Jane, uh, the Doctor, and I think Vashinsky are watching a screen of where the antimatter monsters are breaking through bulkheads. And the reason that I bring this up, this is super nerdy, but the gamer in me says, man, if you pause right there, you, there's actually a layout of the entire ship. <laughs> and so if, if you feel like like gaming and going like, oh, hey, I, I need a layout of like a Morestrian ship or whatever, you can literally pause on that and you can see like where the crew quarters are, where the bridge is, where like the drive engines and en- engineering are. And I remember as we were watching this episode, I'm like, holy smokes, like, <laughs> I literally rewound, backed it up, paused it, I'm like, oh, man, I should totally use this for a game. <laughs> so, and I, I, I have a Doctor Who game that I run, and I, I think I'm actually going to steal that and do it. So. No, I, I had a similar thought watching this, where there were a lot of shots of the interior of the ship, where I was I was like, oh, I, I, can, I sort of have a sense of what the structure of this thing is, and... And how you could use this in a game, you know, like it, uh-huh. it could be a very interesting, like almost like a, if I were going to make this into sort of like a, a crash spaceship dungeon, uh, there's like, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to draw off of from this episode. Um, and I, I tend to I, I think that's always a good thing to sort of hone in on if you are a gamer that sort of uh-huh. how, you know, OK, let's pause and let's look at the layout of this in. Let's look at the layout of this, uh, you know, like let's look uh-huh. at the architecture for a minute and see how we can we can translate into that something gameable. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think that's, uh, there, there was, there was a, there was a lot here in that episode. And I think that the, the, what, what was the scene again that you, you had in mind with the bulkheads? Um, it, it's, it's, uh, if I remember correctly, I think it's in episode four, Sarah Jane, the doctor and Vashinsky are, are watching the, the antimatter monsters kind of like ravaging the ship and going through and killing some of the people. It's kind of before, you know, they're able to, like, get all the stuff and, you know, kind of send it back to where it's going. But, the, like, there's this screen and, and it lights up with, like, each bulkhead as they're going through, uh, you know, getting breached. But, yeah, you can totally see the map of the whole ship. And I can't help but wonder if this was actually the design of the ship that they made before they turned it into a model, knowing that this would have to be... Uh, you know, and, and it seems accurate because, and and I'm cheating right now because I'm looking at it on screen, but the 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 bridge set seems to echo exactly what you can see in that like layout. You know mm-hmm. where you know you walk in and then you have to take the stairs down to the second layer of yeah. of, of the bridge. And, and there's one other thing that I think is interesting in, in the design of this show. I think this was right around the time that glass top tables became a thing. You know, I don't think I remember glass, glass top, top tables were yeah. big. And so they they had the command thing where they shot shots up from beneath through the gas glass top table that the commanders were piloting the ship from mm. and stuff. Which, you know, I think we would do the same thing now, but we would project like controls and cyber looking stuff on it you know mm. and i think this was a very early attempt at kind of that you know futuristic style but they hadn't yet figured out that they should put some controls on it you know it's just yeah. the last name. 
but it sounds like what you were saying too is that you feel that the the layout actually matched like they like the plans for when they went from yeah. room to roommates and see i think that's what i was maybe uh picking up on when i said I was, when when i saw the interior shots i felt like it was like a a, a real place that could be gamed and so i think you're probably right that that was that the, that the stuff lined up because a lot of these shows sometimes you know it's almost like they randomly sort of go from, you know, you don't quite know what the actual layout is and if there even it really is one, if they're just sort of walking through a random door and then, you know, the the director isn't all that concerned about how things connect. But when they do take the time to sort of, okay, this is how the building or the ship is actually structured, that can make a big difference. Um, yeah. And it really, I mean, this all this really highlights, you know, people like to knock old, old Doctor Who for being kind of cheap and that kind of thing. But it's like, it, this is so ambitious. You know, they did all this design work for a spaceship and for a planet that you're only going to use in like one, one story and you're never going to see it again. And it's like so much thought and effort what goes into these episodes. You know, and even like, you know, in Star Trek, they go to different planets all the week, but usually half to 75% of every episode is really on board the Enterprise, and they're all using the same sets over and over, whereas, you know, the only only persistent set you have here is the TARDIS, and they they, they don't really spend a lot of time on the TARDIS on the show, so. Right. No, that was definitely, uh, it, it, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, but you yeah. know, what... One thing that I want to bring, you're right on with that, Adam. I mean, you're exactly correct. One thing I want to bring up about this is, in this story, is what Sarah Jane wears in this episode is very 70s for a change. (laughs) Like, some some of the outfits that they wear kind of hold the test of time. I actually think the the fashion-wise, her outfit stands the test of time. But it's, to me, the first time that Sarah Jane seems to be wearing something that contemporarily girls would have been wearing in like 1976, you know, like that kind of like, like loose blouse and jeans kind of look kind of thing, you know? So uh, I I think, I think that helps set these characters in that time while in the story looking like they're in the future, if that makes sense, right? They're clearly not dressed like the future soldiers, you know that that you know Brendan mentioned earlier had kind of like the piping and the the like odd looking uniforms and stuff. I, I don't know. I just I think that style thing really worked for this episode. Well, I guess is what I'm saying. It did something else too. I feel like it it it's the kind of outfit that sort of it shows that she's fit and sort of like ready for action in a way. Like the the yeah. like that that there was something about that outfit where I felt like she seemed a little bit more capable of of hand you know what i mean than, than than she had before and i i had i didn't go back and look at what she was wearing before so i wasn't sure if it was you know the first time that if you know that she was wearing something like this but but i think mm-hmm. you're but that sounds right like she she uh uh you know i think and i think uh i don't know it was um the, i definitely noticed it i definitely noticed it mm-hmm. so i think you're on to something um but uh but yeah I don't, i'm sorry adam were you going to say something I, I think i might have interrupted you or uh, no, I, I mean, I wasn't in the middle of saying something, but I, I can bring up an additional point, which is uh, the it's it's interesting that this is the second second story in a row we've gotten to where uh, it's been heavily about 
you know, finding alternate energy sources, which seems to be a concern at the time. Terror of the Zygons, you know, the doctor gives a whole lecture there about why are you still using all these fossil yeah. fuels and stuff? If you, did, if you weren't using these, you wouldn't even have this problem in the first place. And this is a similar pitch here with the uh, trying to find the uh, use the antimatter because they desperately need an energy source. And the doctor's like, oh, there's plenty of easy sources, which. I'm not going to really explain to you, but it's a very green. Yeah, it's very green. <laughs> well, actually, I, I think the doctor does explain at the end, right? So when they finally get, does he? I uh, forgot. I'm sorry. Sorensen yeah. back, right? Like he's like Professor Sorensen, kind of like comes out of this haze where he's been, you know, ingesting this antimatter and turning into this Doctor Jekyll, Doctor Hyde antimatter yeah. creature, right? And and when they finally return the antimatter to the planet and. Sorensen kind of like comes out of it. He's like, "Oh man, what was that all about? What, what have I been doing? Oh, you're doing this research on using planetary that's motion right. things, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, that, that that sounds like a really smart idea, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, obviously this is a spoiler, but I think it's okay because it's an old show. But uh, I really like that that Sorensen comes back like that at the end. Um, it's funny yeah. when I I. I, when I watched it the first time, I kind of forgot about that part. So when I went to go watch it the second time, I remembered him dying at the end, and I didn't. I didn't think that he he made it back, and uh, and so it was it was. Uh, I thought it was a cool. Uh, I don't know. It was it was nice because I like sort of seeing a character who, when you get to them, they're like a complete mess and sort of been pushed over the edge, and and now we're getting we, we get to see him at the end of the episode much closer to sanity. And uh, and so it was, yeah. I don't know. It, it it also gives you a good idea of sort of like the the actor's general range and stuff like that. But I I, I thought he was perfect for that role. He really like physically he worked for 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 you know because he had to walk this line between being a scientist and being a monster. And and that's <laughs> those two things don't you especially the kind of monster they wanted him to be. You know he's going to got to like be like a a little bit husky and powerful. And uh, and and the actors seem like a really good fit for that physically. So, yep. But uh, but yeah. So um, I don't know. Anybody want to add anything else before we uh before we head out? I think I've said all I need to say. Uh, you know, I was just gonna say I, I think this is a story that some people might look at and it might actually look weird just because of some of the special effects that are in it but i think the story idea is really solid mm -hmm. so i just wanted to yeah. say that just because i think sometimes when people see stills of this story it looks a little bit cheesy but i think it works when you actually walk, watch it as a story so i agree yeah i will add to i you know i i you know at the beginning of the episode talked about how i think it kind of bogs down a lot towards the end and kind of goes in circles a bit but it still is a good episode it's it's one of those episodes where i i think i'm a little more critical of the the parts i don't like just because the other parts are so good it's uh it is it is it is definitely a worthwhile episode and um, and like I said, I think you know, watch this episode on Halloween if you can. It's a it's it's <laughs> perfectly suited for it. And and I don't know, I I was surprised that I had two very different reactions to it each time I saw it. That I I've never really that's never really happened. I think with a with a Doctor Who that I've watched, you know, with some time between like that. And uh and so I don't know if it's just this episode or me, but that was that was pretty interesting. And uh and so so yeah, so definitely. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd say it's a good episode, uh, and 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 you know, just 
the 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 uh, and like Nick said, you know, uh, the effects are of the time, and so you know, if you grew up, then you probably won't uh, be put off by them. If you're if you're if you're much younger and and didn't grow up with this stuff, it might be striking to you. But I'd say just sort of try to you know get used to it and watch it, and and it'll be fine. Um, also, Nick, uh, you have a uh, 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 you, you should mention your book again because uh, this is still oh. a new book that you've you you've put out with uh, uh, with your co-authors on uh, uh, the sort of the the history of of doctor who in america basically it's it's not even just a history because it kind of cover it covers a lot of other things too so it's a real it's sort of like a complete book that covers uh doctor who in america and it's called red white and who and um uh, what's the name of the uh the website that it's available on i hate to put you on the spot uh uh, etb publishing so uh alpha tanga bravo etb publishing uh dot com is is who who carries it um, thank you again, just for, I, I know we had the opportunity to do a podcast just about the book and I thank you guys for being a part of that. Um, but pretty proud of it, pretty big project. And, uh, you know, I, I jokingly always say that it's about everybody who's a Dr. Who fan in America, who probably are listening to this podcast and things like that. It's a story about their kind of time in Dr. Who and what it is, is it covers everything from fan clubs, to fanzines, to video releases to broadcast history of Doctor Who in America to conventions to games to all sorts of materials. So it's a pretty comprehensive book about the American Doctor Who experience, which I think is our experience. So and I have a copy of it and I and which I bought. I didn't get a free copy. I bought it myself and and I think it's uh I think it's a it's a really good book. I I I definitely recommend it to people. And it's one of these books that you could you could sit down and read it cover to cover. Or you could just kind of have it on the table and just poke through the areas that interest you in that moment. Like, okay, I want to know about this aspect of, of Doctor Who in America, so I'm going to read about this now. And uh, it's, it's, it's really a, an engaging read. And it's visually, it, it, it's got a lot of you know, really cool stuff in there. So, um, so Yeah, so. actually, I really want to thank our publisher for deciding to release it with color photos because we had a discussion that was, do we put the photos in in color do we put them in in black and white and they chose color and i think it made a huge difference to the final product so yeah i agree i, I think i think the color made it, it, it wouldn't have looked the same in black and white so that was the right call right um yeah so so all right so we'll uh we'll thank we'll, you oh, oh no problem no problem i, I will mention it again because i think it's a good book um but uh the th- this uh i think sometime this week we're going to do uh so we're on. Me and Adam are doing Babylon Five, but I've sort of gone ahead to season two. So because I could not stop once we got to this. So so next episode we'll cover the end of season one, the beginning of season two. And at this point, it's it might be it might get harder and harder for us to contain my uh, my viewing. So we'll see what we uh, what we do. We'll do, we'll be doing we'll be doing ten episodes of podcast starting next week. But, uh... um, yeah, things have really cranked up. I, people were warning me about this, but I just did not understand how how, how much things sort of uh, start start really accelerating. And uh, and and I think on Friday I could be wrong, so this is uh, you know and put an asterisk next to this this uh, announcement. But next Friday I think we're doing uh, the Crippled Avengers for our sort of uh, uh, Wuxia Friday broadcast. So, so all right, so we will we will uh, let you go, and we will talk to you later.